the hum. 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 A storytelling podcast. A storytelling podcast. A storytelling produced by A Wall. Produced by A Wall. Produced by A Wall. Welcome to the Hum, where we tune into the background noise of our experience and amplify the sounds of our lives. I'm your host, Grace Manson. Today, we will be talking to five students of color at American University. Some are also students for whom English is their second language about their experiences at a predominantly white institution, or PWI. You will hear how they navigate their identities in a PWI, communicate and take classes in their second language, and if they even like the term people of color, the results are mixed. Our first interview was with Barbara Porco. She discussed speaking with an accent, the isolation she feels because of it, and writing class assignments in English. She was interviewed by Sofia. Here's Sofia and Barbara. My name is Barbara. I'm a senior in SOC. I'm majoring in foreign languages and film and media arts, and I am from Venezuela. How has your experience been at American University, which is like a PWI, predominantly white institution, um, having English not be your first language? Well, at the beginning, it was terrifying. Um, at the beginning, I was still... Um, not really like confident in speaking English. I was <laughs> very scared. It was over Zoom too. So um, I really never talked in class because I was afraid of like people like picking up my accent, or, like making fun of my accent when talking English. So that that's it. Um, and I think it was also, it was a little bit isolating because I tried to find people that spoke also Spanish, but it didn't work until like, my sophomore junior year that I found people that actually spoke Spanish but it always felt very like isolated like being alone speaking English when I just wanted to speak Spanish and so you found people who do speak Spanish how exactly did you find them the first time it was on my Japanese class um he was also an international student uh, from Mexico so when I when I saw him like saying hey I'm from Mexico I was like oh do you speak Spanish and we form a friendship he's in Japan um studying now but he also had a friend who also was from Mexico and spoke um Spanish so we formed like a little group then it kind of separated because one transferred the other one's in Japan <laughs> and right now I have my best friend who's also from Venezuela studies here and we like do everything together <laughs> I think like it was like the first time I started like writing essays in another language now it, it comes easily to me to write an essay in English but before it was really hard like I had to relate uh I have to relate on the like the books they give you in freshman year like I was always like looking and looking in the internet also Really, I still heavily re uh, rely on the writing center because there is someone from Venezuela that works there. So I've been working with her. She helps me a lot. And she knows how to like help people that have struggle um, writing and like grammar. I think a place for me, it was like hard to 
sometimes communicate because I was still afraid of my accent. And I just didn't talk to people at all. Um, and if I did, I would get like stuck. Sometimes I still get stuck like talking because I didn't know how to like say something in English. So I was like, oh, how do I say this? So I always had that insecurity of like, I don't know if I'm talking correctly. I don't know if people are understanding me. Something I really don't like, and I think people that speak other languages that like English in the first language will say is that I don't like people commenting on my accent. Like, I know I have it. You know, I try my best to speak to like avoid it, to like hide it. But like there was this time in sophomore year, it was, was it Halloween? I don't, I don't remember when it was, but there was, I was talking with a person that I didn't know we were meeting. She was like, ooh, like, where are you from? Like your accent sounds like foreign or exotic. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you didn't just say that. <laughs> and at the time I said, okay, let me tell you, I am from like Venezuela. But it was weird because I never like being called foreign or like exotic because I am a resident. I like I know I'm foreign, but like I kind of live here too. So that made me feel like yeah. Um, as much as I try to like, I'm definitely going to be like, I'm going to be like separated from you as an American and me as an immigrant because of my accent. Do you ever feel in a classroom um, that there are any expectations you have to meet because English is your second language? Well, not from other people, but at least for me, I'm like, okay, I probably should like say beforehand when I'm talking. I always say that even when like in prof- with professors and everything, I'm, I'm I'm always like, hey, I'm sorry, like English is not my first language, so I kind of have an accent. Like, sorry for my English. Sometimes I'm going to get stuck or not make any sense at all. So that's kind of what I do, even when I'm writing essays or like big assignments I'm like sorry for my accent sorry for my English but I shouldn't be saying that but I always do it at least for me I I like that the international services has this like language exchange program um so you can meet like people that speak other languages usually it's a lot of exchange students applying but the only thing is that um since it's limited sometimes you don't get in because you don't, they don't match you with a partner. So it's frustrating. And I think my least favorite part is, I guess it's not fault, it's not like fault of anyone, but like I sometimes want to speak my language because I get like homesick. I get like, I miss it, I get frustrated. So sometimes I'm like, I don't want to speak English, Ben. <laughs> I do appreciate that it will like, that it's doing this podcast or like this interviews with like people that speak other languages um it's fun i think years i don't remember when i also did an interview for like international students so it's fun i like people like putting shine on like international students or like people that doesn't that their english is their first language so i appreciate that Stella interviewed Elsie Bustamante and Tyler Brown Duis. Elsie talked about the assumptions people, including professors, make about her because she is not a native English speaker. And Tyler talked about finding community in an on-campus group. First up is Elsie. 
I'm Elsie. I'm from Peru. My pronouns are she, her. I'm an SIS student. I'm a senior. And yeah, so I'm graduating in December. Well, I think like um, most like what I've re- like what I've noticed about like just being here is like you gravitate towards people that speak your native language. So most of my friends are also like from Latin America and all of that because just like, yeah, it's easier to speak in Spanish sometimes. You like seen yourself been treated differently than other people or like less than due to? Yes, I had a teacher once that I had, we had like a final assignment due and I had like a question. I wanted like an extension because like I didn't finish in time and she was like, oh yeah, I know this is like your second language so you can have the extension. Even though like that's not the reason why I was asking for the extension. She was like, oh yeah, I know like this is not your second language so like take the time you need to finish this essay. Yeah, I think like uh, just like comments like that. For example, like uh, I ha- I also have a teacher like like resume building. He was like, yeah, I know like if you ever need help like writing things for your internship, like to like revise your English and all of that, like you can send them over. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Next up, Tyler. Uh, Tyler Brown Dweese. My experience has been, um, it's been something. It hasn't been too challenging, but um, it has been uh, one for the books. Um, <laughs> I was, I remember uh, freshman year, I was called a uh, racist against black people uh, due to um, uh, a certain view I had. Um, so um, it wasn't too liberal. Let me say that. So <laughs> I was I was racist with black people, I guess. Um, I have known that uh, being at this PWI does offer a lot of opportunities. You know, maybe you know, um, I, it was it was um, something interesting here. Um, so you know, it hasn't been too bad, I would say, but you know, it has been something. I haven't had too many um, black professors, I would say, or uh, people of color professors. Um, I've only had, um, I'm going to say, about two African-American professors. Um, And they were both in my uh, freshman year and during the same semester. Um, Didn't know it, too. Um, Though I do know uh, quite few other um, professors, um, African-American professors, um, I've just never had them, um, especially in um, political science. Um, I've only had one black professor in political science, and that was Stephen Taylor. So, For me personally, I don't see how AU could help me find a community, um, though I do appreciate that they do have um, the Center for Diversity and Inclusion for students that feel um, uncomfortable here at American University or trying to get acclimated to the school. Um, I do appreciate that AU does uh, allow for classes in um, uh, SPA, such as um, Justice and Public Policy, which talks about criminal justice um, in in DC. And they have an equal, I'm in, I'm in that class and I'm also in an equal protection class, um, which is a civil rights class. So I do appreciate that they do have, um, do allow those types of classes and, um, the types of discussions are are uh, that that um, the classes bring are really great. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, so I have been able to um, establish a sense of community here. I am um, uh, a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated by way of the New Beta chapter. Um, so I've established a Divine Nine community, but also um, I'm very um, known around um, the African-American community. Um, you know, it's, it's small, but, you know, we all know each other um, and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was better than um, my uh, old high school. So it's more of a community here than it was in my high school. Um, so how do you feel about the category of, you know, students of color or person of color do you think that marginalizes groups or do you think um how do you think you know those kind of identities um well how do you feel about them in general no it gives it gives um the group um the group's uh sense of identity and stuff um i have nothing wrong with it um, I find no issue in it. Um, that's exactly what we are. We are students of color. We are people of color, you know, and um, there's nothing wrong in saying that, you know, we're literally embracing our identity, whether it be in um, black or Latino or um, Asian American. It does not matter. Um, that's just who we are. Next, we interviewed Nicole Sanchez, who talked about the difference between being a Latina person in her home country of Peru, in Miami, and at a PWI. She also talked about how she does not consider herself a person of color, because that's not a concept in Peru. She was interviewed by Marissa. Here's that conversation. So my name is um, Nicole Sanchez Bogdanovich. I'm a junior, and I um, go to, uh, I study international affairs. I'm from Miami, but I grew up in Peru, so I always say that I'm Peruvian. Uh, and I left here until I was, yeah, until I was like a toddler, basically, like five years. Um, and then I went back to Peru. I had my whole life there, basically, like until I graduated from high school and came back at the age of 17. Um, started my associates in Miami Day College. I always wanted to pursue like international affairs. So I knew like Washington was the place to go. <laughs> I uh, transferred to America and got accepted. Yay. <laughs> and yes, I've been living here since. I talked about uh, about this with like fellow like Hispanic people that sometimes we feel like we even think differently because culturally we're like of course like uh taught different things um and i think finally it's just like i've never been able to actually like have a very very good white friend even though i feel like that sounds a little bit bad um because of course my mother is like, oh, so you have any gringo friends? And I'm like, mom, don't use the word gringo. It's kind of this, like, you know, it's not the right word. But they're like, she's like, okay, okay. So do you have any, like, non-Hispanic friend in the U.S.? So, like, people that actually lived and, like, they were raised there and everything. And I'm like, yes, I do. But, like, I do not connect the same way. It was very hard. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I feel like um, my first semester, 
I barely have one friend. And it's not because I'm not like, um, like, like a friendly person or like I'm an introvert. I actually feel like I consider myself an extrovert, but I recharge when I'm alone, which is kind of like how I work. Mm. And I try to connect with like Hispanics, but it was just like really hard. I don't know why. I feel like even like if you're Hispanic, you will know this, but we try, we tend to say like our worst enemy is not like a white person or like a Chinese person. It's Hispanics themselves. And it's very sad to say this, but it's, it's a reality. And I remember that I try to make some like Peruvian friends, right? Because I'm from Peru and, and they're like, oh, so where are you from? From like which part of Peru? Like from the capital. Okay. So now we can be friends. I'm like, we left that like we are here in dc and like we already overcame all those like like you know like prejudice so i don't know i feel like at that moment i was really like concerned with what my culture considered important at that time but now i'm like if you want to be my friend regardless if i'm from the capital or if i'm from certain part of like lima or whatever then go ahead but if not it's fine but right now I feel like I do have a very a very good group of like Hispanic people around me and I'm very happy about that so but how do you feel about the category students of color or person of color I have to be honest every time I, I've, I've been asked that question a couple times, and I just don't know what to answer. Like, in Peru, because that's my, my main um, reference point, right? I wouldn't be considered a person of color. And since I never was considering my own, like, you know, space a person of color, I didn't put myself in that situation. Um, so I didn't ask me the right questions. It was until the moment that I came here to the U.S. that I realized that that was a huge problem. And for us, it's not like that. It's like if you're black, you're black. And if you're white, you're white. It's more if you're indigenous and then if you're like, you know, white. For us, it's more about like indigenous communities. So I, I think I'm not the right person to like answer that but I, I realized when I came here that that was something very important and I'm I'm reading about it and I feel like maybe in the future I can answer that it's it's really interesting for at least in my case like my um my father he would be considered like an in, part of an indigenous community and then my mom she is actually like my, my grandfather was from Croatia. He escaped and she he escaped like World War Two, and then he came to Peru. He established in Trujillo that it's a little city uh, in the northern northern part of Peru, and then came to the capital to just like you know have a better life. And my father is from Puno, and my family speaks Aymara. Like, and I don't know Aymara because I, I didn't grow up near them, but like it was always curious to have those two like aspects. Um, 
Is there another terminology you would feel is like best fitted? Um, is if you don't like prefer a person of color, what do you prefer? Mm, I would just just say person. Yeah, for me, it's just person. Like I, I really don't care about your color. Like for me, it's just like you're good. You're a person that talk to me let's be friends let's yeah. just like engage in some conversations but yeah how do you react when you're kind of placed in that person of color group sometimes i don't realize that i'm actually being placed on those um like on that level like i have that you know like tack in my head basically because i for example that i work at a restaurant and uh, working at a restaurant industry, it's very hard because your patient is tested constantly. <laughs> and I remember, like, a girl was trying to guess my ethnicity, and she found it very funny. But I was like, girl, this is racist. <laughs> this is very racist. But, okay, I was like, I was very tired. And sometimes you just don't want to fight back because you just don't have, like, the physical energy to fight back, fight back right? And she, like, said Bolivian, and then she said Peruvian, and I'm like, yeah, you got it. Like, do you want something else? Are you good? Are you okay? Okay, check, bye. Um, sometimes I don't realize. Sometimes I do. And the times I do, I they're very much recorded in my head. And I can even say that I, 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 write, them, I write them down. Because I like writing in general. So I'm like, okay, I won't forget this when I try to talk about, like, racist experiences. So. When my mom first sent me here, like, to the U.S. in general, like, she said that Miami was going to be a good, like, transition between, like, the American culture and the Hispanic culture. And when I got tired of it, I said, like, I want the full experience. Like, I want to truly feel what it is, like, live in the U.S. Um, and I decided to transfer it to AU. Uh, the, my biggest shock was that people here are very direct and they're very straightforward. I don't feel like when you meet someone, it's like, hey, how are you? My name is Nicole and I'm valuable because of this this and this reason it's more like I'm valuable because I can serve you in certain point of your career and for me it's very transactional and I'm not like that so I feel like that was one of the things I didn't know was going to happen but it, it did and I feel like how it has shifted I try to like redirect the attention from like the person like you know the student and like the future professional I'm gonna be um to like the person I am right now and just focusing a little bit more on my in the present you know uh, for me like food it's very important in my culture so it's like What's your favorite food? Tell me about your favorite restaurant in D.C. Like, we have a very huge, you know, like, like, like variety of, like, restaurants here in D.C. Why don't you tell me which one is your favorite? Which one has the best happy hour? I don't know. Something like that. But they're, like, more interested in, like, 
what I'm going to do with my life in the next five years, which is, by the way, the question I hate the most. Like, is the one that gives me more anxiety. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm coping with what I can today. Have you encountered any difficulties in or outside of the classroom? Outside of the class? I think, like, mostly the readings because they're very heavy. And actually, one thing that I really liked is that AU provides this help. Uh, like, I think if you talk to your advisor, like, you can um, have access to Kurzweil that I don't know if you heard of, but it's, like, an app that basically translates everything that you are reading. And, like, it tells you what you're, like, supposed to read. Like, for example, you can translate it if it's in English, to Spanish, to French, to, like, Chinese, whatever, whatever. And it, it will repeat it back in, in in your language of preference. And that's very cool. That really helped me. Because I was like, like, 14 or, like, 40 pages for tomorrow. How am I going to do this? And everyone's like, it's so, f like, it's so easy. Like, just do it. And I'm like, yeah, of course, because my brain works in that way. Then <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest example that I have from that for that question is that when I first started school here in DC I I knew it was going to be very hard like to begin with so I recorded all, all of my classes like every single class and I would like literally like just sit in my house and just hear everything what the professor had to say all over again and it was like what an hour and 15 minutes and just translate it and like write it in like uh, a piece of paper. So it was, it was double the amount of work. And I remember I sold that to a professor and he was like, oh good, because that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, is it, is it, is, no, it's my, what I'm supposed to do is just learn. It doesn't have to be this difficult. It just has to be difficult because of course I'm challenging myself, but not that difficult. <laughs> Finally, we talked to Beth Molde. Beth discussed the lack of diversity in academic settings at AU. Beth was interviewed by Ella. Here's Ella and Beth. I'm a first-gen Ethiopian-American student. I am an African and African-American studies major. I work a lot with the Ethiopian Eritrean Student Organization. Although there's often the rhetoric that, like, if you search for your community, you can find it, which I think is absolutely correct. It doesn't change the fact that in most of my classes, I'm one of the only black women, if not the only black person, which can be extremely isolating. So it's like, while in social environments, I'm still able to be around people who look like me and whose experiences also reflect my own. In academic settings, that's never really been the case. Something that was the most shocking to me, despite knowing that I'm at a PWI, was in choosing my major, African and African American Diaspora Studies, I assumed with that that would mean black professors or at least professors of color who would be able to 
speak on a lot of the readings and the topics discussed from a personal point rather than just like an academic kind of very observational lens. But in majority of my classes within my discipline, I have found that I have had more white professors, particularly white female professors, than I've had black professors, let alone black women as my professors, which has very much altered the way that I receive a lot of the content that we discuss in class. But my sense of belonging, I think it's something that's definitely grown, but it took a lot of effort to get there. I'm a very extroverted person. So like that's always worked in my favor, but I always think about the fact that like that doesn't apply to everyone. And if you're not like going out and searching, like really searching, which you shouldn't have to do, um, it can be really hard to find a sense of belonging at AU. You really gotta put yourself out there, which is not easy for a lot of people. Being able to like plan these events and be a part of these events has definitely been my way of kind of being able to cultivate a community that AU does not seem to support. I think that there can be a lot of issues with that because it kind of flattens a lot of identities and puts it so that like, oh, you're a person of color, so all of your experiences are exactly the same, which is not the case at all. It's definitely a contextual kind of phrase, but in the ways that I've seen it thrown around, it definitely flattens experience. Like, even though like both of us, we're both people of color, but I can't sit here and say that both of our experiences are the same. So I think in that way, there can be an issue. And it feels like it doesn't only flatten experiences amongst different groups, but also the idea that all Africans or African Americans are. Yes, absolutely. This is actually a conversation that we had an event with ASO, BSU, um, and ESA, in which we talked a lot about this, about like the Black diaspora and like what does that mean. And one of the one of the big points that we came to was that more so, not really on the lines of people of color, but Black diaspora, is that. We can't sit here and say that the African experience in America is the same as the African-American experience and how like there's layers of like um, the term is going to come to me, but there's layers, (laughs) there's layers of treatment that like are very different um, as well as like you can't sit here and say that um, the experience of an like a black queer woman is that of the same of like a black woman who's like straight. So it's like things such as that where there needs to be acknowledgement for like deeper identities, um, not deeper identities, but like differing identities within social movements. And then that applies to even like more broadly when people are saying things such as people of color. I'd rather just be like identified for what I am. I think that using umbrella terms such as that kind of again like flattens experience and by flattening experience you neglect experience. So I think just, like, addressing people for what they are. I definitely, which is naive, but, like, to be fair, it's, like, we all came in here, like, 16, 17, 18 freshly. I definitely did not anticipate um, how, like, capital that W was in PWI because AU very much markets itself as being the most progressive school in the nation, the most liberal school in the nation. Like, we have SPA, we have SIS, we have all these, like, up-and-coming programs and majors that like no other school has and since being here I have not felt that not once um while I'm like okay you guys got great internship opportunities I guess if you like you know kind of like bleed for it but as far as like actually being progressive and actually being a liberal school 
the liberal is strong. The liberal is strong, but it more so falls along the lines of neoliberalism than anything else. The AU administration has fostered a community that completely enables like xenophobia, racism, Islamophobia, like the list of prejudices goes on because they never actually address anything. Um, I think something that like I've taken the time to do a lot, especially now with their statements on Gaza, is really like reading the verbiage that they use to email about like instances of like hate speech and things such as that. And it's very much beating around the bush and sugarcoating because they don't actually take a stand and they don't actually make any solidified um, change upon campus. As much blame that should fall on her, it goes beyond the president. They can put anyone up there and things will not shift unless people make like a systemic change because the issue is just as much with the people as it is with institution. Um, and the institution of American University at its core, the same as many other universities across the nation, um, are built upon the fostering of racism. Like, they're built upon white supremacy. That's why it's a PWI. And Sylvia Broadwell leaving will not make that change that we want to see. It's up to really rewriting what's going on at the root of the institutions. You can replace the person at the top, but it's not going to change, like, what's at the root of everything. They started putting out all these statements, like, like look out for like I think the suspect might be black and tall-ish and I'm like do you know how many people <laughs> and like that's one of those things where it's like you start to really fear for those around you um alongside that I've like heard of situations in which like things will happen um within the dorm environment and black women will be profiled and they'll be like oh like this girl is causing a ruckus oh but what does she look like well She's kind of like shortish. She's black, curly hair, and I'm like that. That could be me. Like that could be that could be so many people. That could be half the people I know. Um, and I think those kinds of things in which like when they're trying to when something that they label as a disturbance has occurred, um, racial profiling seems to be the first thing that they lean on to. You mentioned AUX being yeah. racist. Can you expand on that? AUX, so essentially the premise of AUX is teaching um, students how to be anti-racist. And it's like something that AU likes to put at the forefront of like, why we're progressive. We teach children to not hate their other, <laughs> to <laughs> not hate others, sorry. <laughs> and so, and it's a big failure for the simple fact of like what they're teaching. It's very much basically exactly how I said it. Don't be racist. It's not kind. We love all of our students. Like, there's no in-depth understanding of systemic issues, anything like that. As far as, like, dialogue goes, I've heard more, like, the most amount of, like, racist rhetoric I've heard on this campus has been stories of AUX, which is, like, horror stories of people trying to articulate that slavery was just about labor. And, you know, like, it, it wasn't that bad. And, like, well, you know, like, I grew up here and, like, it was like okay to say that word there and it's just crazy stuff like that. And you mentioned people putting um you know students um in this position of emotional labor. Do you feel like a part of that emotional labor has also been through asking students um of color to share their painful experiences of racism? Oh, absolutely. There's constantly a push to like tell your story of adversity. Um 
in an institution that's not very diverse, which is, I think, the irony of it all, that you are expected to prove your pain to also, like, show that, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm able to talk about racism and I know my I know my things and I know about this, this and that. And in order to your evidence always has to be the most painful experience you've ever endured. Um, and I think that's a huge part of emotional labor because I found that in spaces in which I'm expected to educate, I'm also expected to tell a story in order to prove my point. It's as if like me saying racism is wrong isn't enough and I have to like articulate the most painful experience, the most like and how I overcame it for people to believe me, which is never like okay. Thanks for listening to The Hum. Keep an eye out for future episodes of The Hum or listen to our past episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, or any podcast listening platform. You can find the written version of this story and all AWOL stories at awolau.org. The Hum is an American University podcast created by AWOL. Our podcast team is Stella Camerlango, Alexandra Valerio, Zoe Kalenikos, Marissa Alvarez, Sophia Boren. This episode was edited by Stella Camerlango, Alexandra Valerio, Zoe Kalenikos. The Hum's producer is Ella Hernandez. AWOL's podcast director is Helena Milburn.